book of Genesis. That should be easy to find. Uh, in fact, the first chapter of Genesis. You follow as I read. I'm only going to read three verses, beginning in verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of our God... Oh, that endures forever. You know, guys, I thought since half of our congregation is celebrating Labor Day at Pickwick, the other half of us would uh, celebrate it here. And uh, we're going to talk about the same thing that I know that they're talking about, and that is uh, the theme, the subject of work in, in light of the celebration of Labor Day tomorrow. You know, there's really only two places that you hear a lot about work, about the dignity of work. Uh, one of them, one of the places where you hear a lot is from the Reformers. Now, if you don't know who the Reformers are, uh, what, I'm referring to the group of men that came really out of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century when uh, Martin Luther launched that thing. And, and, and one of the outcomes of the Protestant Reformation was a whole new definition, a whole new uh, perspective on work. The other place where you hear a whole lot about work is um, is country music. I guess the uh, the guru is uh, Alan Jackson. God bless the working man. Have you ever listened to some of those those uh, lyrics? Uh, Lace up boots and faded jeans. Homemade sandwich. <laughs> Half jug of tea. Uh, average Joe, average pay, same old end, same old day. God bless the working man. <laughs> but, I mean, he isn't the only one. I mean, uh, uh, Gretchen Wilson sings a little bit about it, too. Of course, she's a whole lot easier to look at than Alan Jackson is. But, uh, you know, I'm a, uh, I work hard. I play harder. I'm just a hard-working American daughter. Yeah, she describes herself in that song as uh, as a redneck um, with um, as blue collar. And then, of course, I guess uh, the the one that I remember the most because of my my age, uh, who could forget Dolly Parton's nine to five back in the eighties? Remember that? I mean, they still play that thing. Um, nine to five. She uh, she talks about um, being a a step on her boss man's ladder. That she's just barely getting by. <laughs> if you listen, not closely, but if you listen at all to some of the lyrics of, of what comes out of country music, 
the 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 the, uh, the part of work that they seem to emphasize, or or what you hear in what they're saying, is is lament. That they're that they're groaning under the 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 weight and the and the difficulty of work. Now I, I don't think they're doing this that consciously, or or they're doing what I'm about to say consciously. But they are pointing to a very biblical truth, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, something that was really uh, promised us uh, after the fall. You've heard of this, I'm sure. You know, in Genesis chapter three, after sin, <coughs> after sin enters, and God speaks to the serpent, and then He turns and speaks to Eve about. The pain in childbirth, which many of you can give witness to, and one of you ladies can give witness to. And then he turns to man. And I don't know whether you've ever heard, surely you've heard this before, but this is in Genesis 3. Let, let me read to you what, what God says to man. Actually, he says to working man. He says this. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, that you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Do you hear that? Don't misunderstand that, guys. Uh, This does not mean that work is bad. It just means that work is going to be difficult. And I, I think most of us know something about that. Guys, country music, um, seems to pick up on the difficulty of work. They, they seem to be able to pick up on that theme that, that really comes out of Genesis chapter 3. Um, they, they seem to give voice quite frequently to the promise that God made uh, to Adam in Genesis chapter 3. And, um, and just about the only bright side, the only reprieve that, that uh, country music has to point to is our weekends and our vacations, our exotic, or maybe alcohol. I mean, they, they talk a lot about alcohol, too. You know, uh, we plan these exotic vacations as our escape from the drudgery of work. We're trying to make our way to Margaritaville because that is where... Um, where we're really going to be happy. Gang, the, the, the Protestant reformers spoke very differently about work. They, they spoke much, is, the, the Reformation spoke much about what's known as the cultural mandate, which is what I read you out of Genesis 1. If you've never heard that, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, particularly verse 28, is what's known as the cultural mandate. 
Can I read it again? God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It is our cultural mandate. And so instead of speaking about vacations, the Protestant reformers spoke about vocations. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The whole idea of us involved in the cultural mandate via work or vocation. First of all, let me let me try to define and give you an idea of what they meant and what I'm meaning, and and actually I'm I'm just meaning what they mean. But um, the word vocation it comes from a Latin word vocare. It's a it's a verb. It means to call. Uh, vocations are callings. Uh, originally, it was only the religious jobs. You know, only those jobs that. Um, that were done directly in the service of the church that were considered vocations. The rest of the folk, they just had jobs. They just had work. The only people who had real vocations, the only people who had callings, were those who um, uh, exercised those callings within the service of the church. And by the way, that kind of thinking is alive and well today. Because we add to the confusion in our in our conversations when we talk about full-time Christian work. Now, guys, what does that mean about the rest of you? Does that mean that y'all are part-time? I mean, you know, you just dabble at it just a little over here. Whether you got the, the full-time folk. Guys, It was the Protestant reformers who first challenged that whole idea that the only vocation was to be had in the service of the church. And what what they did is that they appealed to the cultural mandate. Did you notice that language in there? Subdue. Have dominion. That's cultural mandate language, guys. Subduing the earth. What am I supposed to subdue? The earth. What am I supposed to have dominion over? The whole earth. Guys, this was to include everything. Our job was to subdue and have dominion to the glory of God. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But guys, people like Martin Luther. Martin Luther, who was the, really the, the father of the Protestant Reformation, Said that anything that could, anything that could be, anything could be done to the glory of God. And the, and the illustration that he used was mucking a cattle stall. Now, I mean, everybody knows what that is, don't you? Mucking a cattle stall. And he talked about mucking a cattle stall to the glory of God. One of my, my, my favorite lines in all of Christian literature is a statement that was made by Abraham Kuyper. You, you might not know that name, but Abraham Kuyper was the prime minister of the Netherlands. Um, a genius. And is in print uh, lots. But I mean, most of what he reads, I can't understand. But um, but one thing that Abraham Kuyper said is this. And I'm telling you, if you don't hear anything else I say today, just listen to this sentence. He said this, and he's often quoted for this one sentence. He said, there is not one square inch on planet Earth 
that does not belong to Jesus Christ. Not one square inch on planet earth where Jesus Christ is not Lord. Not one square inch, ladies and gentlemen, where Jesus Christ is not Lord. Os Guinness is another reformer. He, he wrote a book several years ago, 25 years ago or more, uh, entitled The Call. And in that, he says this, in that book he says, Everyone, everywhere, and in everything lives the whole of his life as a response to God's call. Our blessing and responsibility is to develop culture under the lordship of Christ. Develop culture. Under the lordship of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know that there's a right and there's a wrong way to view mathematics? Did you know that there's a right and there's a wrong way to view recreation? Did you know that there's a right and a wrong way to view sexuality? All of it, ladies and gentlemen. All of it is to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Johann Sebastian Bach. You know him. He got it. You know, he was, I mean, if he's not the most noted musician ever, certainly among the top three. But on every piece of Bach's material, he wrote two sets of initials. Um, there was, of course, JSB, Johann Sebastian Bach. And um, the other set of initials were SDG. Now, everybody knows what that stands for, don't you? SDG. Soli Deo Gloria. For God's glory alone. Do you know that there's a right and a wrong way to view music? art and history because ladies and gentlemen there's not one square inch of planet earth where Jesus Christ is not Lord now guys that's what that's what the reformers meant when they talked about a cultural mandate we are to subdue this thing to have dominion over it to God's glory. Bach got it. We don't get it. You know, um, d- d- are you in conversations like this to remind you? I, I, I know that you've heard people say this. They, they, they say things like this. Um, you know, it really bugs me that, um, that people act one way at church and then another way at work. You ever heard anything like that? <laughs> yeah. Here's the worst sentence that's ever come out of a believer's mouth. Here's the worst. Don't ever say this. This is the worst sentence that a Christian can use. Well, here it is. This is business. You ever heard that? Well, yeah, 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 but this is business. 
I know, I know, I know, but this is business. Yeah, 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 but, but, but this is business. We're talking about business here. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see how awful that is? Yeah, yeah. Well, I know all those things, you know, the preacher said on Sunday. But but this, this over here is business. What in the devil is that supposed to mean? What is that supposed to mean? That there's one set of principles that operate from 11 to 12 o'clock on Sunday morning? And then we forget those? Guys, I don't know how that ever happened. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because the church is just filled with hypocrites. Maybe that's it. But another possible explanation could be this. That you've never quite understood the cultural mandate. That the whole of the earth is to be subdued for the glory of God. Guys, the, the, the reformers didn't invent the cultural mandate. Genesis 1 did that. But Genesis 1, in essence, suggests that you and I are supposed to be vice regents. That's a, a term they used a lot, vice regents. We're supposed to be vice regents on planet Earth, which involves subduing and having dominion. Now, what does that mean? I mean, uh, subdue the Earth. Have dominion over the earth. What, what is that supposed to mean? Well, guys, tell me this. How do you subdue, let's say, uh, how do you subdue, how do you subdue a piece of ground that you're gonna put a garden in? How do you subdue it? I mean, do you beat it? No. I mean, we talk about subduing, um, there, we, we talk about the introduction of, uh, nutrients and fertilizers and, you know, water the, the thing. We cultivate it. We, we supply it with all that, uh, the thing that it's missing. You, um, you, you prevent there from being any erosion and, and, and try to eliminate all harmful little pests that are gonna, that are gonna harm this thing, uh, so that the outcome will be very pleasing to you and then beautiful to God. That's what we mean by subduing. Okay. How do I do that if I'm a banker? Or what, how do I do that if I'm a school teacher or if I own a small business? How do I do that? How do I subdue when I, when I teach school or on a small business? Uh, bring my Bible to work? Refuse to listen to the dirty jokes in the break room? No, ladies and gentlemen, that's not subduing. Subduing is the introduction of nutrients into my um, into my world. It's the it's the it's the introduction of righteousness, things like honesty and fairness and respect. How do I treat customers or students or employees? Are, are my policies um, administered fairly? Am I, am I serving or being served? All of that, folks, and, and countless other things like that are what the Bible means when it says to subdue, to be involved in kingdom building. I am going to introduce righteous nutrients 
into my work setting. Whatever I do, nine to five, it's supposed to be intimately connected to my yieldedness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Guys, we Christians ought to make the best employees and the best employers, not because we attend church a lot, but because we see ourselves as playing a vital role. Our role is as vital as any preacher's role in subduing my little slice of the cultural pie. I am going to introduce righteous principles to my little slice of the cultural pie. And never again will you ever hear me say something so godless as, well, this is business. Business is supposed supposed to be brought under the sweep of your yieldedness to Jesus Christ. Guys, righteousness is supposed to reign in the sales call, in, in the classroom, in the boardroom, in the break room, and in the back room. Because you see... There is not one square inch on planet earth where Jesus Christ is not Lord. Now that is what the Protestant reformers meant when they talked about vocation. My satisfaction as a human being is to be found in carrying out a job that he gave me to do for his glory. So... In the language of Paul, he says, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, guys, one of my, one of my, um, I don't know, sadnesses, but just a challenge to you, particularly if you own your business. If, if you're in a position of making or calling the shots, you, you watch business offer these seminars and, and webinars on how to find self-fulfillment via their work. That, that's just backwards. No, ladies and gentlemen, you're not su- supposed to find self-fulfillment via work. I find fulfillment in doing the job God gave me to his glory. That sense of satisfaction is the byproduct of doing everything to God's glory. The, the logo for the cultural mandate is solo, solely Deo Gloria. So whether I'm telling the truth in a sales call, or whether I'm dealing fairly with employees over insurance, or, or even in the way that I hire or fire, all of it is to be done with one eye cut towards King Jesus. That's what we mean by the cultural mandate. That's what we mean by a world and life view. Those are almost synonyms, cultural mandate, world and life view. That my, the entirety of my life, I, I, I view through eyes, one of which is cut towards King Jesus. Now, is that easy? 
No. And that's what Genesis 3 is talking about, guys. Genesis 3 promised us that the subduing and the, the having dominion would not be easy. Thorns infest the ground. Yes. Sin is entered with all of its thorns, with all of its problems, and has made all of this very complicated. Let me, let me mention just a few. And guys, we could, we could talk for hours. I, I know you've got issues at your workplace. Um, and, and you know, we could list them up here and go on for days. I, I've just selected three that, that, um, just three thorns, just three of the problems that we face in trying to properly respond to the mandate to subdue and have dominion. Number one, being a workaholic. <laughs> I live for work. I, my identity is, is in my job. Work is my God. I'm a 24-7 kind of guy. Why? Yeah, I read emails at the supper table. Gang, that's not a calling. That's a piece of idolatry. You're, you're, you're trying to get something from your work that only can be gotten in your relationship to God. And because this, this idol is clutching you right around your jugular, everything is suffering. Your marriage is suffering. Your kids are suffering. Your health is suffering. Because for you, work has, is occupying the wrong spot. You have no boundaries. And not only that, you, you negate the whole pattern for work and rest as you see outlined in Genesis 1. God worked six days and he took a day off. There's, there's, there's this and then there's this. But for you, they've all become mixed into one thing. I, I think if the truth were known, um, and, and maybe you can answer this yourself, but it's, you're really driven by a, a, an unchecked ambition. And it's ruining you. And folks, the, the, um, the solution is to see your work as a means to an end, not an end in itself. The end is solely Deo Gloria. That's the end. The end is not personal peace and prosperity. The end is that as a vice regent who belongs to the living God, I am supposed to bring him glory in this thing this job that he has given me to do for his glory. And as Luther said, anything, mucking a cattle stall, can be done to his glory. And as much fulfillment can be had in that as anything else. Here's the, um, here's the second thorn or the second problem that I, I, I wanted to mention, which is really the opposite end of the spectrum. We've got the workaholic on one end, and we've got those who play at their work and work at their play. Play has become what we live for. Um, 
I'm telling you guys, this culture, if there's anything that appeals to us, it's how we can play harder and more and do it more exotically. We're, um, we are great vacationers. We're just bad workers. So now we've got to drink five hour energies to, to keep us awake doing the job that we've been given. We're lazy. We're sloppy in the work. I don't know where I read this. It it certainly doesn't apply to me because I would never attempt a home improvement project in the first place. But uh, uh, the the line, do your best and caulk the rest. You ever heard that? You know, you just kind of slap it up there some and if it's got gaps, just fill it up with caulk and paint it. And nobody will ever know. You ever heard the story about the Statue of Liberty? You ever heard that story? I mean, it's an interesting little insight that somebody had. It wasn't original with me, but... Um, you know, the, the Statue of Liberty is, of course, a gift from the people of France. I think you know that. It was uh, dedicated in 1886. And the designer was a guy by the name of Frederick Bartoli. Bartoli, Bartoli something like that. Anyway, um, the thing is enormous. You know, it's a big thing. You've ever seen it. And, I, and, and it's like over 300 feet tall. That means it's as tall as a football field. 100 yards of a, of a statue. You know, on this big plinth, and uh, and uh, I don't know how tall it is to the top, but anyway, it's a, it's a huge thing, as you know. And it was and it was dedicated in 1886, and the, the designer Bartoli couldn't have dreamed, wouldn't have dreamed of, couldn't couldn't fathom airplane flight or something like a helicopter. And so, you know, the the, the Lady Liberty's got this crown on her head, and you know, when he was designing the thing. Nobody's going to see this. Nobody's going to see that stuff up there. I mean, it's 311 feet up in the air. And so what he could have done is just, you know, skip this part up here because it's got this crown and just, what the heck? And yet, if you've ever seen the top of Lady Liberty's head, she has these folds, these locks of hair that are um, masterfully done. The point is, guys, when we're doing our work, much of it that we consider work that's not going to be scrutinized. And and so because nobody's going to look at it, nobody's going to see it, nobody's going to, you know, evaluate it. We do it poorly. And we kind of do our best and caulk the rest. Could I read you something that Paul says? Listen to this. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And all of that stuff, all of that stuff that is the minutia of our jobs, there too, ladies and gentlemen, I am to do it. So that God would be glorified. So that if it does get examined, they're going to see locks of hair and beauty in all of the minutia of my job. One other thorn and then I'll, I'll quit. And I don't know, maybe this is because <laughs> I'm the most guilty. I mean, because that's what I did. I was trying to think, okay, what thorns do I want to mention? Because you got to, you know, how you get a... Hundreds that you could pick from. So I just decided to preach my own sins. Because I figured if I could preach mine, you know, it would hit some of you. But um, 
the other the other thorn that I want to mention is envy. Hey guys, have you ever heard of the name of Bezalel? Does that name ring a bell, Bezalel? <laughs> well, back in the Old Testament, when God got ready to build the tabernacle, uh, you know, the, the people of Israel had come out of Egypt, they had crossed the Red Sea, and they're in the, you know, out there, and they're going to build this thing that's going to be the worship center for um, for Yahweh. And so they got all this stuff, you know, God's got all these directions as to how he wants it built and what he wants in there, what he wants done. You know, you know, down to the detail of, you know, 18 cubits this way, 14 cubits that way, you know, just detail after detail after detail. <clears throat> but there's all, there's all this furniture in there. There's a candelabra, there's, you know, there's tables and there's, you know, there's just all these intricate things, the Ark of the Covenant. And so he raises up a guy. That is a craftsman that can do it all. And his name is Bezalel. Let me, let me just read you what it says. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Listen to this. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to, to work in every craft. Do you know how important that, that principle is, ladies and gentlemen? Do you realize the abilities that you've got? You know where they came from? Do you understand that God is sovereign not only in saving, but he is also sovereign in the distribution of abilities and talents? How did Bezalel get good at what he did? I'll tell you how he did it. I have filled him with all the ability and all the intelligence and with all the knowledge that he's going to need for the job. And so I look at my... The other people in my workplace, and they're better at it than I am. Now, that's because of sloth and shame on you. But I, I, I tell you guys, God has distributed among us as he sees fit. And once I recognize that, then I don't have to envy anybody anymore. All I have to do is go do my job well. All I have to remember is that I'm not working. I'm not just another step on the boss man's ladder. No, no. No, I'm a part of the fulfillment of the cultural mandate. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it as if some helicopter is going to fly over and, excru- and, and scrutinize the top of my head. Just in closing, you want a model for how to work? Then how do you think Jesus did his work? He says, my meat and my drink is to do the will of my father. He did it with passion. He did it with intensity. He did it in detail. And because he did... Because he did his work so well. You and I can be saved from our sin.
Let's reflect that in the way we work. Our Father, I I do pray that you will broaden your people's understanding of of what you intend for us, how um, how you expect us to represent you in the workplace. And as the world tries to get its self-fulfillment and and to buy its toys and to get its paycheck so that they can can go for another exotic vacation, would you enable us to see that our work, whatever that work is, whether it's exciting or mundane, it can all be done, all of it, with one eye cut towards the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all in the hope that you will get glory from every particle of my life. We commit ourselves to that, Father. And and if indeed you have brought people here this morning who have not yet met the Savior, might they see him today in all of his beauty, in all of his determination to fulfill his great work of saving his people. I pray that you will create questions in the minds of those who are not yet redeemed, so that they'll not have a moment's peace until they are resting safely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we pray, of course, in his name.